John chapter 1, 1 to 5 and 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Thank you, Michael. And if I've not met you yet, my name is Bijan, the pastor for our church, and really glad to be with you today. Let's pray as we prepare to look at this great passage. Our God, we thank you for John chapter 1. We thank you for the truth that's here. And now as we spend some time today and in the coming Sundays exploring the riches of these verses, we pray for the power of your spirit to illumine our understanding, to open our hearts, and to transform us. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, believe it or not, it is Christmas time. Today is the first Sunday of Advent. And so over the next few weeks, you'll be hearing lots of Christmas music, not only here at church, but as you're walking around our city, as you're doing your shopping, on your Spotify playlist, even the background songs and the movies that you're watching, there'll be Christmas carols in the air. And one of the dangers with that is we grow too accustomed to them. We're too used to them. We take them for granted. For example, one of the songs that you'll hear at church or out in our city has a stanza that goes like this. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail, incarnate deity. Pleased as man with man to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. That's the heart of Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. And what we want to be doing as a church over the next few weeks is ask the question, what does that really mean? Not just as a song we sing, not just as a festive time of year, but what does it mean that God is with us? And that's why we're turning to John chapter 1. John chapter 1 is probably the best place in all the Bible to understand the theology or the doctrine of Christmas. Not just the events that happened, but what they meant. What God was doing in history and in the world. And it's my hope as we encounter together the theology, the richness of Christmas, that we would have our lives changed. Because Christmas, sure, it's a fun and a festive time, but it's meant to be much, much more than that. It's something God did to change history forever, and it can change your life too. So we're going to be looking at John chapter 1, the theology and the doctrine of Christmas. Now today we begin with just these first five verses, and then I'm sneaking in verse 14. What do we see here in this opening paragraph about the theology of Christmas? Well, we're going to see who Jesus is, why it matters who Jesus is, and then a glimpse of what Jesus did. Who he is, why it matters, and what Christmas means for Jesus coming into the world to do. 
So let's take a look first. Who is this Jesus? Now, I want to grab your attention, if I don't have it, for just a moment by saying this. In the first couple of hundred years after Jesus lived on earth, died, and rose again, in those first couple of hundred years, it was incredibly dangerous to be a Christian. And Christians were being massacred throughout the Roman Empire just because of their faith. So to do the very things that we're doing here today, praising Jesus, or maybe you're here to explore, to kind of get a sense for what this is all about. In the first couple hundred years of the Christian church, this was a life and death kind of experience. And you ask the question, well, why were Christians willing to give up their lives for Jesus? Well, why were they willing to die for him? And the answer is because they believe what's here in this first paragraph of John. And you need to feel that today, that the truth that we're reading, the truth that we believe, people died for this and still do in many parts of the world. This is serious stuff about what God did in Jesus. And so what's here? What is so significant that it's worth dying for, has the power to change your life? Well, look with me again, if you would, at verse 1. John says this, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. Three times in that one verse, the word, word, appears. What we translate in English as word, in the Greek language, is logos. Logos. Now, in the first century, outside of Christian or church circles, that word logos was used very widely. It was used by artists. It was used by philosophers. It was used by everyday people. And logos was this idea, it was a word that was trying to get at what is the heart of ultimate reality. What is the thing that exists in the world that holds everything together? The power, the force that sustains all of creation. You might say that the search for Lagos was the search for God, the divine, the supernatural thing or things that were in the universe that made everything and that sustained everything. Now, even as I'm saying that, the Lagos, this thing that's out there that sustains everything, you might be like, that's kind of confusing. And it is a little confusing. Do you, if you've ever seen Star Wars, this might help, but if you haven't, I'm really sorry, but you probably should watch it. Uh, When you watch Star Wars, you know that the force is an incredibly important thing. So every time I'm watching Star Wars, you know, I'm one with the force, the force is with me, you know, that whole thing. You got to get into the force. But when you're watching the film and when I watch those films, I'm always wanting to know, like, what is the force? Have you ever, like, what is it? So I went on Star Wars official website to look it up. And this is what they say about what is the force. Official definition, the force is a mysterious energy field created by life that binds the galaxy together. Harnessing the power of the force gives the Jedi, the Sith, and others sensitive to this spiritual energy extraordinary abilities, and it has a will of its own, of which both scholars and mystics have spent millennia seeking to understand. So basically, no one has any clue what the force is, is what they're saying. 
And I say that kind of in a, in a joke, but, but actually to say, you go back thousands of years and human beings, the brightest minds and the best of philosophers have been trying to understand what's the heart of ultimate reality. And then you have this great film series made that has this thing called The Force, which basically is trying to do the same thing. How do we connect our lives to the power of the universe? And today, to this very day, many people in our city in a place like London would say, I'm trying, I'm spiritual, I'm not very religious, but I'm, I'm trying to connect my life to a higher power. I'm trying to connect my story to something greater. What I'm trying to show you is that for thousands and thousands of years, human beings have tried to figure out what is the logos. Like what is the thing that gives meaning to everything else? So here we are in John's gospel. And in verse one, John says, in the beginning was the word, the logos. And the word, the logos was with God. And the logos was God. And up till that point, verse one, any ancient Greek philosopher would say, yeah, of course, that makes sense. The Logos with God from the beginning. I agree. And then in verse 2, John turns the world on its head. Because look at what John says in verse 2 of his, this passage. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Do you hear what John is saying? Everyone throughout world history is trying to figure out what's the heart of ultimate reality, what's the logos. And John, writing his story, the introduction to the person of Jesus Christ, says he's the logos. The heart of ultimate reality is a person. The heart of ultimate reality, the one who made everything, the one who sustains everything. God himself is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. He's the Logos. And this statement was so profound. It was so radical. It was so countercultural that for the first Christians to believe that the Logos became a human being in the person of Jesus Christ, to believe that turned the world upside down. Luc Ferry, who teaches philosophy at the University of Paris, put it this way, for Greek thought in general and for Stoicism in particular, the idea that the Logos could designate anything other than the rational order of the universe was unthinkable. In their eyes... To claim that a mere mortal could constitute logos or the word incarnate, as the gospels say, to believe that was insanity. It was to assign the attribute of divinity to a mere human being. And what exactly was that issue in apparently this innocent change in a meaning of a single word? And the answer is nothing less than a revolution in the definition of divinity. Friends, this is the fundamental theology or the doctrine of Christmas. That the logos, the heart of ultimate reality, is a person. A divine person, Jesus Christ himself. God with us. He's God. He's creator. He's maker. And notice, when Christians affirm that Jesus is God, we're not saying Jesus is godly. Like his beliefs align with God's or his actions reflect God. 
We're saying that actually in his body, we have this person who's both fully man and fully God. That God is actually now among us in the person of Jesus Christ. This is the doctrine of Christmas. And here's why it matters. Just as we move into this Advent season, I know many of you know this, you've heard this. For others, this might be a new idea. But for all of us, here's why we need to really wrestle with the idea of Christianity that God became man in the person of Jesus. There are a lot of people in our city, and maybe you're here today, and you love the idea of Jesus as a moral teacher. You know, you read the Bible and you find him to be very inspiring. He's nice to him. He's so nice, right? He's so nice to people. He's doing good things. But you know what? If someone is just a moral teacher, you can pick and choose what you want to follow. If someone is just a really good example, you can say, well, yeah, they were, they were really moral for their time, but now culture is different. And so we need to update and change and transform and sort of do our own thing based on maybe some of his principles. In other words, if he's just an example or just a teacher, you get to pick and choose what you follow. But if Jesus is God, you don't bargain with him. You bow down and worship. You bow the knee and say, all hail King Jesus. It matters profoundly whether or not Jesus is God. And so the thing I'd invite all of us to consider, and maybe you're here today not a Christian, not sure what you believe, and you're exploring and investigating, at least don't make the mistake of not thinking that the Bible is serious when it says Jesus is God himself. He is the Logos. He is the creator. He's the unmade creator. In the beginning, he was already there. He never started. He always is. This is the profound claim of the Bible. And if you're going to wrestle with Jesus, you have to wrestle with him as he's presented in the pages of Scripture. C.S. Lewis quite famously put it this way. He says, I'm here trying to prevent anyone from saying the very foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept him as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. Because a man who is merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You can make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or he is a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him. You can kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about this being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Who is Jesus? This is Emmanuel. This is God with us. This is the Logos. The heart of ultimate reality is a person. Why does it matter? Why does it matter that we reckon with Jesus as the Bible presents him to be God himself? Three reasons why it matters. First, revelation. Sometimes people want to know, what is God like? And if you've ever wondered, or if you're today wondering, what is God really like? You actually have your answer. Sometimes I talk to people and they say to me something like, I mean, if God's up there, why doesn't he just say, why doesn't he say something? Why doesn't he just speak? And the answer is he has. He did reveal himself. 
by actually becoming human being and entering into our story. Jesus is the revelation of God. In the words and works of Jesus, you see the words and works of God. And if you want to know who is God, what is he like? Jesus is the answer. So it matters revelation. But second, relationship. Relationship. Is it interesting to you that the way we translate the Greek word logos is with the word word? It's difficult to preach on this. It gets confusing. The word word. Here's why that matters. If you want to be in a real relationship with somebody, maybe you're falling in love. It's a great feeling. But you know that no matter how attractive you find another person, you don't get to know them just by staring at them. I mean, that gets weird eventually. If you really want to get to know somebody, what do you do? You use your words. Because in words, we communicate our deepest self. When we use words, we express what's going on in our heart. And so when we're being told about God coming into our story, the way Jesus is described is as the word. What is that about? God ultimately wants to have a relationship with you. He wants you to know him. And he's come to reveal himself by sending himself as his very own word. And friends, here's why this matters. Being a Christian is not just about assenting to ideas. It's not just knowing some theological facts and saying yes to them. The heart of Christianity is about being in a living, vital relationship with a person. It's by knowing God in Jesus Christ. It's relationship. God became flesh so that we could know him and walk with him as a friend. So revelation, relationship, and then third, why does it matter? Rescue. Look with me, if you would, at verse five of our passage. John says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not comprehend it, cannot overcome it. It's no accident that every year, whenever we get to Christmas time, there are lights everywhere because actually that's the heart of the Christmas story, light shining in the darkness. Last week, my daughter Esme, she's two and a half, woke up from her nap around four in the afternoon. She comes out into the living room and she says to Michelle, my wife, why is it so dark, mommy? She wasn't used to the time change yet and the fact that the sun goes down earlier than it used to, that this is a dark time of year in a place like London. Now, you and I, know about the rotation of the earth. We know about daylight savings. We know about clocks changing. She doesn't. All she knows is that it's darker than it used to be and it should be lighter than it is. Why is it so dark, mommy? And when I heard Esme ask Michelle that question, I realized that in some ways that's the fundamental question of humanity. Why is it so dark? Life isn't always dark. There are light-giving, joyful moments. But for many of us right now, the world feels awfully dark. Your life feels awfully dark. Earlier today, when Jasmine led us in prayer, we prayed for the cost of living crisis. So many people in our city just wondering if they're going to be able to afford the most basic things. Others, many even young children in our city, not having enough to eat. 
There are wars and crimes against humanity happening all over our planet. And then there's all the personal stuff. Some of you today, you've come to church and it was a great act of courage because you live with a profound sense of loneliness or a fear of being hurt in relationship. Some of you are processing a recent illness and maybe a more serious diagnosis. I mean, our world is dark. Christmas is about a rescue. Christmas is about the fact that into a dark world, whatever your darkness feels like today, the light of God has come to break in and to break through. For all the fun and festive time that we have at Christmas, it's fundamentally a rescue mission about what God has done to come into this dark, broken world and bring the light of his healing. We need Jesus as God with us. It matters profoundly, revealing who God is, a relationship with the living God who's come to rescue us from the darkness and brokenness of our world. But the final question is, well, how would Jesus do it? How would Jesus come in to overcome the darkness, to walk with you, to show you what God is like? And the answer is in verse 14. Now, I'm going to be very brief here today because we're going to come back to verse 14 in a few weeks. But verse 14 of our passage says, the word, the logos, Jesus, became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. Jesus, fully God, becomes fully human. A body that you could touch and hug, a body that could bleed and sweat, a body that would get tired and could be hungry. The creator God becomes human. And, the text says, makes his dwelling among us. Eugene Peterson, who paraphrased the Bible into what's called the message, when he got to John chapter 1 and verse 14, he captured it beautifully. And he said this, The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And that's a beautiful way to summarize the whole heart of Christmas. That in Jesus, God has moved into the neighborhood. God came to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. You know, if Jesus were just a great moral teacher, he would say, here's what you have to do to get to God. But if Christmas is real, if this passage is true, then it means Christmas is about what God has done to come to you, to save. And so as we close, as we prepare to come to the Lord's table for communion, as we prepare for our time of response, three points of application. If Jesus really is God in the flesh who moved into our neighborhood, what does that mean for you? First, God is love. God is love. If Jesus is God who's come all the way down to be a human, then that means that God came all the way into your story. He stooped all the way down. And you know, love always stoops. Because I love Esme, I spend a lot of time on the floor. Because I go down to her. I don't expect her to get up to me. And love always stoops. Love is always willing to come down to be where the need is. And God is love. So God looks at our world, the brokenness of our world, and he says, I'm not going to tell you how to get to me. I'm coming down to you, whatever the cost. And if God comes down at Christmas, then we know that God is love. Sinclair Ferguson put it this way. 
Whatever gifts you may have, love always means that you come down. It means that you use those gifts for the good of others, not to make yourself feel good. It means that you're willing to do things that are uncomfortable or inconvenient for you or that might go unnoticed. Real love always comes down. And we know that because love came down at Christmas. God is love. And some of you today, not only do you not feel loved, you don't feel lovable. Christmas is the answer to that. God says, I love you so much, I came all the way down. Second, not just does he love, but second, God knows. God knows. To say it differently, you're not alone in your suffering. You know, when you're going through seasons of pain and often acute or chronic pain, one of the reasons why suffering is so hard is because you feel totally alone. You feel like nobody sees it, nobody gets it. Even well-meaning friends try as they might never say the right thing or they pay too much attention when you just want to be left alone or when you really need someone, they're not there. Suffering is very isolating. You feel cut off from everyone. If the Christmas story is true, then that means no matter what kind of suffering you go through, Jesus knows. He's moved into the neighborhood. You're never really alone. Last week, we spent some time after church having a conversation for our church family. Everyone was invited about loneliness. We know loneliness is a profound issue facing our city. One of the things that's hard about loneliness is it doesn't necessarily have to do with being around other people. You can be around other people and feel profoundly lonely. Because we said in that conversation about loneliness that loneliness fundamentally is a feeling of alienation. It's feeling like no one sees you or gets you or loves you. So you can be in a room full with people, maybe family, even friends, and feel like you're completely alone. That's hard. The Christmas, this is just one example. The Christmas story means that God knows what it's like to be lonely. When Jesus moved into the neighborhood, he became actually the loneliest person to ever live on this planet. And that culminated in his death on the cross. Because on the cross, Jesus, as he died in your place, as he took your sin upon himself, he experienced cosmic separation from God, his father. And that's why on the cross, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Like ultimate loneliness. You say, what's the point? There's no kind of suffering or pain that you can walk through that in some way Jesus does not know. And the Christmas story means that he's with you. We may not always feel it. That may not always seem real, but it's truth to sink our hearts into. He knows. Third point of application, God is love, God knows. And third, finally, God is inviting you into something today. It's the last thing I want to say. If Christmas means that Jesus, the God-man, moves into the neighborhood, then that means that Christmas is as good a time as any for the followers of Jesus to move further into their neighborhoods. Christmas is about incarnation. It's about being physically present, our whole selves being present in the spaces that we inhabit. So, especially if you're a Christian here today, as we move into the month of December, the invitation that God is extending to you is simply this, how can you move more into your neighborhood? How can you be more local and more present? 
I'm thinking real practically. If there's a coffee shop that you frequent, do you know the names of the people who work there? If not, get to know their names and their story. At your job, maybe you just think of it as a necessary drudgery, like, ugh, work. (laughs) Do you know the stories of the people that you work with? Do you have relationships that, you know, are having good boundaries, but where you're relating to people not just as colleagues, but as friends? Do you pay attention to the people who live next to you or on your floor in your flat building? You see, Christmas is about getting closer because God came close in Jesus. And so maybe for all of us, one practical way that we can live out the incarnation this year is to say, I'm just going to take one more step into my neighborhood. Whatever that means, I'm just going to get a little bit closer because at Christmas, God and Jesus Christ moved into my neighborhood. He came into my story so that now as he lives in me, I can take a step too. God is love, God knows, and God is inviting. Let's be considering these things now as we come to our time of response. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you for the theology of Christmas. We thank you for John chapter 1. And we pray that as we come now to the Lord's table, as we eat and drink of Jesus, as we remember his sacrifice for us, and as we come to our time of response to sing and to praise you, God, we pray that the truths we've talked about today would be more than just ideas, but that by the power of your spirit, you would transform our hearts and renew us. Help us to encounter Jesus, the one who became man to dwell with us. We pray all this for your glory and for our good as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.